This is, again, as I mentioned earlier, the second week of Advent. And so um, this is week number two of really being intentional about exposing ourselves to the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love that the incarnation brings to us. Today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, and I'll get into that in just a minute. Again, sometimes during the Christmas season, I'll preach a series on those four themes of Advent. Other years, we've done series called Songs of the Savior, where we look at the theological and scriptural sort of foundation for good old Christmas hymns. This year, we're just going to be looking at several different characters that show up within the Christmas story. And in particular, we want to look at how these characters respond to the arrival of Jesus. Today, we're going to be looking at Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph, as he is depicted in Matthew 1. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to begin today's sermon with a clip from the movie Dead Poets Society, which I think maybe came out back in like 1986, so it is old. In fact, it's old enough that it was, you know, coming out, I think, my freshman year of high school. That's how old it is. But in this, Robin Williams plays an English teacher who is trying to teach his students how poetry is actually about life and how life is actually about making a choice about who you're going to be and about what you're going to do. So we're going to open up with that in a minute just uh, after I pray. Let me take a moment and pray. Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word, as, as we look at the the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be moved to make a decision about our lives and how we are going to decide to live and who we are going to decide to be. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be moved today as we see your son Jesus and as we read your word, that not only would our minds be shaped, but our hearts and our desires and our wills would be shaped as well, and that those would lead us then to action. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this scene, Robin Williams, um, as the teacher here, uh, is quoting a line. Actually, he, he ends up quoting the entire poem from Walt Whitman's poem, O Me, O Life. The poem is broken up into two parts. If you could read it and see it written out, you'd see those two parts. There's really a question. That's the, the beginning um, of the poem. And then there's the answer. And that first part of the poem, the question, is essentially asking the question, what's the meaning of life. What's it all about? What's the purpose of our living? And then the second half of the poem then answers that question. And what Walt Whitman says there is he says the answer is that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. Let me read that one more time. The powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. In other words, there's a powerful, larger story raging on around you. And your purpose in life is to play your part in that larger story, to contribute your verse. There are a few chapters in this larger story um, that are more meaningful than the incarnation itself, which we read about in the Gospels. It's the event in which God entered into humanity in order to rescue us. And there are a few characters in this larger story that have had as meaningful a part to play as Joseph did. Let's take a moment and look at his verse, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's enter into this story, this narrative about Jesus and about this man, Joseph. But as we do so, let's first ask the question, what do we actually know about Joseph? He first appears in the Bible in Matthew and in Luke. In both, Joseph is listed in the genealogy of King David. That's important because that's where the Messiah comes from. Now, some of you may have noticed as you've read these two different genealogies that they're actually different, and that's also important. It's such an obvious difference that either Matthew or Luke is wrong or that something else is going on. Several different arguments have been put forth. One argument is that Matthew follows Joseph's lineage and that Luke follows Mary's lineage. Both went back to David, so that could be true. Both, again, lead to King David. But another option is that Joseph's father died and that he was actually adopted, thus giving him a physical lineage as well as an adoptive lineage. And if that were true, then Joseph's role as Jesus' adoptive father takes on an even weightier significance. The last time we end up reading about Joseph is in Luke 2, when Jesus is 12 and their family had gone to the temple. And the assumption is that sometime after that, Joseph had passed away. If most of us were asked about Joseph's vocation, we would say rightly that he was a carpenter. Um, That's true, but the word used to describe Joseph's vocation is actually broader than that. It's tecton. It's a word from which we get technology and technical. And uh, a tecton was someone who worked with wood, but they also worked with stone and metal. Surely Joseph would have done work in Nazareth that Jesus would have probably partnered with him in, building tables and chairs and yokes for oxen. But it's also very possible, if not likely, that Joseph would have also worked in the nearby city of Sepphoris, which was being constructed by the Romans. It was really um, a magnificent city with lots of metalwork, lots of stonework, lots of woodwork. They may have actually gone there together to do this work in carpentry, but they could have been doing masonry or metalwork as well. And then finally, we know something about Joseph's character, and we know something about his spiritual life. Verse 19 says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This verse tells us several things about Joseph. First of all, Joseph was Mary's husband. Verse 18 calls them betrothed, but here Joseph is referred in verse 19 as Mary's husband. Marriage in the ancient Near East, and in particular in the Jewish culture, like in America, had two different parts, the engagement and then the actual marriage. And in this case, the betrothal had occurred, but the marriage ceremony had not yet occurred. Betrothal was considered so sacred in Jewish culture that an actual divorce was required to break off an engagement. We also read here that Joseph is a just man. Two weeks ago, we looked at the same word just in Titus as a trait that should be descriptive of godly people. Essentially, a just person is someone who does what is right even when it costs them. A just person does what's right even when it costs them. We read next that Joseph was unwilling to put her to shame and that he had resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, Joseph was not only just, he was merciful, he was kind. 
You can be a just person and also be ferociously self-righteous, and you can be ferociously judgmental at the same time, but Joseph wasn't. Though he could have publicly divorced Mary and put her to shame, he didn't. Instead, he decided to determinate their engagement quietly so as to protect her from that public shame. It seems likely, therefore, that Joseph was what most of us would call a good man, right? He was a good man. He was just. He was merciful. He was kind. He was hardworking. He did what was right even when it cost him. The Bible doesn't tell us why explicitly, but it's important to remember that God not only chose Mary to be Jesus' mother, God chose Joseph to be Jesus' father. Think about that for just a moment. This leads us to the next point. The next point is this. So part of what we see in this story of Joseph is that God often comes along and interrupts the smaller stories of our lives. Look at verses 18 and 19. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So I just want you to do something for a moment. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for one minute. Just sort of go back in history 2,000 years ago. Put yourself in his shoes. You've been waiting your whole life to be married, right? Whole life you've been waiting to be married. Maybe you dreamed about the relational and the physical connection and intimacy of having a partner for life. Maybe you've dreamed about having children and about being a father. In traditional cultures, the pinnacles of life are all related to family. Marriage, having children, one day having grandchildren. That was what it was all about. That was the pinnacle of existence. You've been planning and you've been preparing for this moment of marriage. I remember vividly in middle school, my teacher, Mrs. Speakman, in sixth grade, telling the boys in our class that girls did not like guys who had long fingernails. I started cutting my fingernails then and there in preparation for marriage. Needless to say, I began any other number of different um, ways of trying to make myself more presentable to young ladies. Long before I met Krista, I started reading books on marriage and family because one of my deepest desires was to be a good husband and to be a good father. And I would assume that Joseph was no different. He may have even been more so because his culture was more of a traditional culture. He'd surely been looking forward to marriage his whole life, and now his dreams seem to be dashed with this jarring news. Again, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. All of his plans were undone by the heartbreaking revelation that his betrothed was pregnant. And remember, it's not till verse 20 that the angel appears to Joseph to let him know that Mary's pregnancy is not from another man, but from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph at this point could only conclude that Mary had been unfaithful to him. So often in the Christian life, God's larger story interrupts our smaller story, right? We know that intuitively, but we also know it practically. We know that that interruption into our plan, into our smaller story, is usually, if not always, unwelcome and almost always uncomfortable. Here, Joseph's plan was to be a husband and father of a typical Jewish family. Instead, he had to endure a public shame as a reward for his obedience. Moses similarly had a plan. His plan was to raise children with Zipporah and to take care of his father-in-law's flocks until God appeared to him in a burning bush. And instead of his quiet life and his plan, 
he got to lead some very discontent former slaves through the desert. David, the psalmist and king, seemed quite happy caring for his sheep and playing his harp in the countryside. Instead, he ended up facing a murderous giant. Presumably, the disciples were living out their plans as fishermen when Jesus came along and said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They did. They obeyed him. They welcomed his interruption, and they suffered persecution and even death as a result. Many of you here this morning have had your smaller stories interrupted by God's larger story. Again, like I said a minute ago, it's usually unpleasant. Often it involves suffering. Infertility wasn't part of your plan, but it might have led to an adoption and a self-sacrificial life that mirrors that life of Jesus and our Heavenly Father. A diagnosis of cancer wasn't what you had dreamed about for your life, but it may be the very thing that propelled you into a position of trusting God more deeply than you had ever imagined. And then it might have led you to representing him more publicly than you had ever desired. Getting fired wasn't the script that you wrote for your play, but it might have been the very thing that God used to get you exactly where you needed to be in life. Your parents' divorce was terrible. It was heartbreaking. It was crushing. But it may have been the event that actually pushed you into the arms of Jesus. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Problem of Pain, Lewis is processing his wife's death, and he writes this very famous quote. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God's interruptions are often unwelcome. They're often uncomfortable. They may even be the most painful things that we've ever experienced, but in the end, God's interruptions into our lives always serve a purpose. They are not meaningless. So God interrupts our smaller story. He interrupted Joseph's smaller story. The question is why? That's the next point. And what we see here is the reason why is because God invites us to play a part in his larger story. We have a verse to contribute. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says this, but as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. So Joseph's plans in his small story have been interrupted with the shocking news that his young fiance is pregnant. He must have been crushed, but so often uh, that is exactly how God gets our attention. He jars us awake. And now that God has Joseph's attention, he offers him an invitation. God invites Joseph into a larger story. We're told that Joseph, before the dream, had been considering these things, meaning he's considering how to divorce Mary privately so as not to shame her publicly. His heart is merciful towards his young fiance, but he just wants to get back to the story that he's been writing for his own life, and that does not involve marrying an unfaithful woman and taking care of some other man's baby. But that's when God enters in. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What God wants is Joseph to abandon his plan and to move forward with taking Mary as his wife. You can imagine Joseph's internal dialogue. It would be similar to the dialogue that we might have when God asked us to do something incredibly difficult and painful. You want me to do what? 
Why in the world would you ask that of me? How can you ask me to lay aside my dreams and my plans? But again, that's exactly what God does. We know it. We've experienced it. God issues an invitation to us to turn aside from our preferences, to turn aside from our plans, and to play our part in his larger story. Some of you are familiar with the man Henry Nouwen. Nouwen was a Dutch theologian who taught at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard. He authored over 40 books that sold over 8 million copies worldwide as of 1986. I don't know how many copies they've sold now. But one of the things he experienced was academic and vocational success, almost unparalleled. But he left that all behind to work with developmentally disabled adults in Toronto, Canada at a place called the Larch Community. He lived there as this person with his PhD and this great uh, academic track record. He lived there feeding these people and bathing these adults who couldn't care for themselves. He cared for the people that could not care for themselves. He labored there for 11 years until his death in 1996. And the question is, why in the world would Nowen leave a highly successful career in academia? Why would he leave that behind? The reason why is because God invited Nowen into his larger story, and that required him abandoning his smaller story. What about Joseph? What was God's larger story for him? Let's take a moment, let's see. Look at verses 21 through 23, and we'll see what God's larger story is. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now finally, God gives Joseph a glimpse into the larger story. Mary wasn't unfaithful. She'd never even known another man. The child that she was carrying was conceived in her apart from any human's touch. In fact, the child in her womb was from the Holy Spirit, and this child was no ordinary Jewish baby boy. The angel tells Joseph to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was the New Testament version of the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Jehovah shall save. Jehovah shall save. This child that Mary was carrying was to be the promised Messiah. But God let Joseph in on something that even the Jewish theologians of his day didn't know. This child wasn't coming to save the Jewish people from the Romans. Rather, he was coming to save them from their sins. And this Messiah wasn't just a prophet or some anointed individual. Rather, this Savior would be God himself. Look at verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The larger story was that God wasn't sending a warrior. He wasn't sending an emissary. He wasn't even sending an angel, but that God himself was entering into his creation as a human. St. Augustine captured this idea beautifully when he wrote the following. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, 
that truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. God himself was entering into humanity, into the human story to suffer and to die in order to save us from our sins. And so suddenly, God's interruption of Joseph's life and his plans feels far more justified. The question remains, though, what would Joseph do? What would he choose? We see in verses 24 and 25 what he chose. He chose to obey God. Verse 24 and 25 say this, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We're told here that Joseph woke up after his life-altering dream and that he obeyed. We read, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. In spite of the public shame, Joseph honored his covenant with Mary. Despite an inevitable lifetime of sideways glances and whispered gossip, Joseph gave his life to his young bride. And in spite of it all, Joseph chose to obey God, to commit himself to his teenage bride, and to take on the role of adoptive father to the Messiah. And then he called his name Jesus. There's always something strikingly beautiful about people who surrender their will to God's. I think it's actually one of the most beautiful things we see in the human life. I've always loved the movie The Mission. It's this movie that stars Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons. There's a priest played by Irons. He lays aside his desire for safety to take the gospel to an indigenous people group in Paraguay. And I love real-life stories like that of Corey Ten Boom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and David Livingston who completely surrendered their preferences and their wills in order to honor and obey God. I've always loved the story of Eric Little, the Scottish Olympian who refused to compete on Sunday because he was willing to surrender his desires and his plans and his will to God. Of course, the ultimate example of the one who surrendered is Jesus. We read in Matthew 26 that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, was filled with angst at the coming suffering of the cross, and yet he surrendered his will to his fathers. He obeyed. Verse 39 of Matthew 26 reads, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's my prayer this Advent season, this Christmas season, that we will all experience an interruption into our larger stories. It's my prayer that we would receive an invitation into the larger story of God. It's my prayer that we would see very clearly what our verse is, what our part to play is, like it was very clear for Joseph, and that we would join with Jesus in saying, not as I will, but as you will. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, I thank you for Joseph, I thank you that he was just, and I thank you that he was merciful, and that he in that regard is a facsimile 
of you and of your son, Jesus, that he actually points us towards the Messiah in that way. Father, I thank you that he obeyed and that he followed through with marrying Mary, loving her, committing to her, committing to you, raising Jesus. But Father, ultimately, I pray that this story of Joseph would point us towards our true Savior, Jesus, your son who obeyed, who remained faithful despite the cost to himself. And so, Father, I pray today that we would walk out into this town and into this day and into this week, not relying upon our own strength or our own willpower, but we would rather walk out into this life knowing that this part that we play in your larger story is one that's already been written for us, and that we've been empowered by your son, Jesus, by his mercy and by his grace. So, Father, I pray today that we would go out in the strength that you give us through him. In Jesus' name we pray.